Hello and welcome. On this week's episode, Steven Spielberg brings back a classic in West Side Story. Or did he? Mm. Arthur and I haven't been watching anything even remotely the same, so I fill him in on some fun stuff I think he's missed, and he fills me in on the same. And it's not nearly as sordid as it sounds. Insecure? Insecure? Maybe a little. We're also going to (laughs) talk the new Spider-Man movie. Arthur's seen it. I haven't. He's going to give us just a few spoiler-free touches, and then I'm going to catch up on Saturday, and you can hear more about it next week. We'll also be revisiting Arthur's Video Game Corner. Video Game Corner, 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 Corner. It's a little early for the intro, but it's never too early to be talking about this year's The Game Award winners. And lastly, until the end of the year, we are, of course, going to be talking Hawkeye. Season 1, Episode 5 just dropped on us. And we are super excited about the little photo at the end of this week's episode, and we will tell you all about it this week on Tales to Admonish. <laughs> Spider Man! <laughs> <laughs> so, so is that Willem Dafoe, Green Goblin, or is that like, like the cartoon Green Goblin? <laughs> Willem Dafoe, Spider Man. <laughs> Finish it! <laughs> How are you, sir? I'm in bliss, man. I'm in bliss. That that movie. Well, I know because you've seen Spider-Man so many goddamn times over the last two days. <laughs> I saw it two times back to back, bro. <sighs> uh, I was in bliss the whole time. You just son in of bliss, a- just like just a child, a kid, you know. Like, just not even imagining that I'd be able to experience what I experienced. You know, it's such a gift for this holiday season. I can't wait till you see it, man. Oh, I'm excited. I'm going on Saturday. Uh, I'm going to go. I I was able to get tickets, and uh, Rachel and I will be seeing it Saturday night. Oh, yeah. Marvel has made me feel like this. (laughs) I've just never experienced these sort of intense feelings in any other way before. Like when when Avengers first came and the Battle of New York started, like I sunk into my seat, not believing that it was happening. You know, uh, like even 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 the fight at the end of Ultron was amazing to watch. You know, yeah, yeah. And then 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 when they first revealed Spider Man and of uh, Civil War, mm-hmm. I like I lost it, and then and then. Like all of Black Panther, like that whole movie. <laughs> Minus the CGI train fight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I forgave it for all of, I mean, it's Ryan Coogler's first. Like, I know, I know. I'm movie. teasing. I'm just hoping. <laughs> the fact that we had uh, Afro punk sci fi uh, Africans like in a movie. No, you're right. You're like, right. It was an amazing aesthetic. But yes, I, I digress. You know? Yeah, and then, uh, then like all, like both both Affinity War and Endgame, like being able to have this crossover work so swimmingly. <sighs> and then and then this movie, man, it just it's a bit overwhelming. Like how beautiful it was. I got choked up so many times. Not over even sad stuff. Just the the, the amount of creation and creativity and boldness. And the, all the fight that it took to make it happen. All of the journeys that all these Marvel studio guys had to go through 
this whole time just so they could give us these stories. Like, I mean, they care. This is what actual care is versus some studio hack just, like, moving things around so they can make money and take advantage of whatever IP that they have. Oh, well, now, you know? to be fair, those studio hacks, I think, aren't trying to make something bad, but I understand your point. <laughs> They're trying to make something bad. You're, you're, you got it right. You're watching. You're watching Spider-Man weeping for the executives. <laughs> <laughs> the vice president, the vice president of development, worked so hard on this for like for like ten years, <laughs> and like like nobody ever appreciates her. And I really do because I know that the logistics of combining IP like this is really complicated. <laughs> 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 That's how you watch this fucking movie. <laughs> well, I'm excited to see it. I'm so glad you're so stoked about it because you could have come out of that like Eternals, like they tried, they swung yeah. really hard and they missed. You're saying they swung yeah, really was, hard and no they fucking way. hit. There was no way. There was no way that was going to happen with this movie. There's no way. Spider-Man, bro. <laughs> you just willed it into existence being awesome. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. So I heard they included some post-credit scenes. Can you tell me how many and whereabouts place they are so that I know that if I have to stay to the very last second or if I can leave a little early? Well, just in typical fashions, they have they have the mid-credits um, sequence and then they have the post-credits. I mean, they, that's what they usually do now. Yeah. All right. So we got two and there's a mid and a post. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So now I know what to expect. Um, and now I heard, I heard little, little lady bitty teaser. Cause I think everyone's probably heard this. The, the final one at the end of the movie is a trailer for Dr. Strange too. Mom's the word. Mm, we all know it is. You don't have to tell us what happens in it, but we all know <laughs> if you want to see the trailer uh, to Dr. Strange too, because Marvel has been furiously taking down all of the illegal copies on the internet. But if you want to see that trailer, you got to go see Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to be the one to see now, it. Now, I have gleaned some interesting stuff. I know, I know. But come on, it's all over the internet. But I have gleaned some interesting stuff off of the internet about Doctor Strange 2. And uh, mm -hmm. I was telling you earlier that I somehow missed in all the cacophony of announcements that America Chavez is going to be pretty prominent in this movie. Yep, she's casted. You know, they've already kind of laid the groundwork for how her powers are going to work. You know, with like how every time there's a rupture in the dimension, it cracks like glass. Right, because in the comics, she can punch, as funny as that is, punch from one dimension into the next. She makes a little star-shaped opening and she can mm -hmm. dimension hop away. Yeah, yeah, she's a, she's a really cool character. Yeah, she's basically dimension hopping, uh, female, Latina, Captain America, kind of. Mm-hmm. I'm here for it. Why not? Give oh, yeah. me weird, awesome iterations of these characters. And we could always use, you know, between America Chavez and Captain Britain or, you know, actually she isn't Captain Britain, whatever her name is, Peggy Carter. Um, yeah, we could use as many as many caps as mm -hmm. we can get. Now, was Henry Cavill, like, actually casted as Captain Britain? I haven't heard that. Is, is that a thing? I thought he got casted for Captain Britain. I don't. I don't hate that casting, actually. I mean, Captain Britain is traditionally mm -hmm. blonde, so there's that. But not that that really fucking matters. But, but um, yeah, 
I would actually, I'd, I'd take him as Captain Britain. And actually, you can introduce him pretty much at any point because he's not technically a mutant. He's magic. So why not give us actual Brian Braddock, Captain Britain? For those who don't know, Captain Britain is an early Marvel UK character that was then uh, transferred over to the American line of books. Because as you can imagine, Marvel had a whole division that made more British-centric superheroes called Marvel UK, and and uh, Brian Braddock, a.k.a. Captain Britain, came out of all of that, and then later would be a founding member of Excalibur, which is in the X-Men universe. And I guess, Arthur, you're saying there's some speculation that this might be Henry Cavill. Oh, um, I'm looking at it now, and, and it seems like they're they're basically just tooling it around right now. Ah. And he, and and Henry Henry himself said he would he wouldn't mind being Captain Britain at all. So we just have to stay tuned for that. Is Henry Cavill one of those British actors taking tons of American jobs? <laughs> uh yeah. <laughs> because there's a lot of them these days. Yeah. I mean, we have a bunch of them in our Marvel movies. <laughs> oh, they're so fucking charming those Brits. God damn it coming over to America taking yep. our jibs. Dirt to that feels like a perfect segue that feels like a perfect fucking segue yeah you you (laughs) asked me this week to watch the new south park post-covid uh special or what what exactly they called it the post-covid special right yeah return of the COVID. got it got well yeah that's about right (laughs) Um, now the interesting thing is, is that I wasn't able to watch this because this is part of a 14, I don't know what to call them films or episodes or shorts or projects. It's basically 14 independent pieces that the, uh, specials. Thank you. Oh, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. They're making 14 specials that are exclusive to Paramount plus, and I don't subscribe to Paramount. Plus. They're, they're all 45 minutes. <sighs> See, I can't see those. I flip through. I'm like, oh, I got South Park on Netflix. I got South Park on Hulu. I got South Park on Comedy Central On Demand. I got South and everywhere mm. but Paramount Plus. And I'm just, I'm not adding another streaming service yet. So you're going to have to tell me about it. Uh, what was the gist of it? So, um, you know, when we left off on the last episode, um, they, were, they were trying to um, figure out how to go, go back in time. Stan and Kyle... Thought thought they could go back in time to fix their situation mm-hmm. because based based off of uh, all of the awesome uh, you know uh, future casting that uh, Matt and Trey did <laughs> as far as like what would happen in the future you know COVID's still uh, you know halfway an issue um, but then like a major uh, strain happened again which is going to launch them into another forty years of being Jesus. in a pandemic. <laughs> You know, while they're they're already in their forties, so like they, they want to be able to live life again and not be uh, taken down by this. So naturally, they want to go back and try to um, to stop this from happening. Right, right. So, uh, what's what's so great about this is like you you get to see you know basically all of the attributes that um, that resonated in these characters as children play out as they're now adults. You know. Uh-huh. Um, and what's so funny is like while Stan and Kyle kind of have like these unhappy lives, Cartman has a great life. Um, oh, of course. But but based but based based off of his like benign ignorance about certain things, like like the reason why he likes Jews now, <laughs> like the the same reason why he likes girls, and like when when he would say earlier 
um, you know, because girls are really funny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's trying to he's trying to uh, convince himself that um, uh, women can be funny. <laughs> it's, it's kind of the same thing with like Jews. He likes every kind of like stereotype about Jews. Like he tries to hide them. <laughs> he tries to have his own um, uh, Gestapo moment Jesus. where he's hiding his Jewish family. Jesus in Christ! Oh my god! <laughs> but it's so he's that's so funny because he's so sincere. I just think it's funny how you know? <laughs> completely uncancelable South Park is. How just it's maybe this one piece of media in today's environment. That is absolutely fucking bulletproof. I would have said, I would have said that Dave Chappelle was fucking bulletproof. And we have learned that Dave Chappelle is just bullet resistant, which is very different. He's yeah. bullet resistant. He's not bulletproof. Fucking South Park. Holy shit. Is this thing bulletproof? It's just, it's just perfect satire. Like they're the satirist of our time, you know, they really are. Yeah. I mean, at one point I put Aaron Magruder there too uh, with boondocks, but Boondocks mm. didn't have as much staying power. That's and I wish Boondocks could have been going as long, you know. But you know, but I, I put him up there as far as satirists too. But like Trey and Matt, oh my God, like like they are our satirists of the of our of our times. Um, so do they do they succeed? Do they succeed? What do you mean? Do they do they successfully go back in time and eradicate uh, COVID? Well, I don't want to go too much in the plot because right. um, I want you to to see it, but. But, you know, basically, you know, every character is kind of pushed to, like, their childlike attributes. Okay. <laughs> and basically, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, feel, I feel weird, like, talking about stuff that I really want you to see. <laughs> I don't have Paramount Plus, so until I get to the point of where I can pirate it, and that'll probably be, like, another day or two. Um, there's, there's just no way that I can see it. I'm sorry. I don't want to pirate it. I would love to watch it, but I'm not, I can't, I can't have a dozen streaming services. All right. Well, what, what do you want me to say then? How much you want to talk about? No, I mean, I think we all get the point. You enjoyed it. And, um, that, you know, they, they're in the future, you know, themselves, they go back in time to eradicate COVID so that they can actually live their lives. And I get that it's brilliant satire. I don't think we need to talk too more, too much more about it because yeah. I probably will just pirate it and see it, but, um, yeah, cool, cool. For, except just specifically something like this. Um, I'm not really excited to watch COVID themed entertainment. Like oh, I okay. get, <laughs> see, I get that it's, it's brilliant satire and part of why i fell off with uh, South Park is because it is such a brilliant and spot on reflection of everything that is fucking awful about our society at times. And oh, yeah. oh, I don't yeah. know that I need that in my entertainment. I think I'm pretty well darn aware of how awful things are. And I don't know that I need to laugh at it. I'm, I'm trying just in my own personal life to laugh at it as much as possible. And I just, I don't you know, know that I need that in my entertainment. One one thing I'll say uh, before we move on is that they, they were building up the, um, the appearance of butters. <laughs> <laughs> well, butters is the best. Butters is the fucking best. Yeah, Cause they didn't, they didn't show butters or uh, Timmy in the second episode, you know, when they were showing, you know, but when they're basically showing how everybody grew up, like how right, the older right. people got older. And well, I mean, is Timmy really going to make it to that level of adulthood? Or 
Well, that's the thing. Like they they just kind of subtly didn't show him. And then and then Butters was like locked up and they they had like a really good misdirect by saying that uh that Kenny uh was was working famously with the, some guy called Victor Chows. And then you see at the end of the episode that is a Victor Chaos and of course that was <laughs> Butters aka. Of course. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so but they don't show him till like they uh start this third episode. So uh, when they show him, you know, you think he's going to be some crazy monster. And he's just like like a really slick huckster now. And he he got that way because when he got grounded, his parents died and he stayed grounded for 16 years. Because <laughs> oh, he just stayed in his house being grounded. Right, because there's no one to unground him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so dur- during that time, he learned like, how to um, sell stuff online, and uh, he got really rich because of it. You know, you know, he was always kind of a, a, a prosperous young man when he started like. Uh, oh, he's with industrious and, and computer savvy. We know this about butter. <laughs> yeah, so like he he gets he gets into NFTs, and and then Matt and uh, Matt and Trey really start to dig into their opinions of, of how they feel about NFTs, like. How they're basically worthless, <laughs> but like, like how, but how everybody is so tied into it, and like, and you know, everyone's like really into NFTs because no one wants to miss the Bitcoin wave, right, anymore. right, right. You know, they use Butters as this guy that's just like he could sell anybody on NFTs, and they forget anything that they're doing and focus only on NFTs, uh. and that's why they want him to be locked away. It's so funny. So that's 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 all I'll say about the uh, that episode. Nice. Well, if I um if I get the time, I'll fire up the old pirate machine and I'll go find Yar, it. Har, har. To, to the creators out there, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I only feel so bad because I have like eight different streaming services and I have cable and I have on demand and I fucking I pay way too much for all the shit I have anyway. And I'm going to the movies and paying like $16 a ticket. So yeah, I don't know why that $4.99 is like a bridge too far, but I'm just not fucking doing it. I have drawn the <laughs> line in the sand. We've got what we've got. I might downgrade one of my plans, but no, I, I, I just mm-hmm. can't. I just, I'm not watching or getting into all the shit that I like mean to. There's just so much of it out there. And oh yeah, that's just television. I mean, we haven't even talked yet about Video games. Now, get ready for the Video game corner, 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 bitches. <laughs> bitches. Don't insult the audience. <laughs> <laughs> we have precious few listeners as it is. Damn. <laughs> so aggressive today. So aggressive. Um, oh, yeah. Video all right, game. so video games. games. I love it because... This is always so informative to me because I know like jack shit about it. And so it's really fun for me to play the part of the wide eyed, you know, listener uh, who might not also play video games necessarily. Mm. You're telling me that there was a major video game award show uh, recently on December 9th called the Game Awards, which I thought was hilariously vague. Game Awards. The Game Awards. Yeah. Really? Yeah. The Game Awards. Really? That's what it's came out of your simple. fucking creative department. And the crazy thing is they probably paid somebody <laughs> like big money and they had a meeting and they sat down like, okay, we've got it, people. We're calling it the <laughs> Game Awards. 
And then one person in the audience, like, you mean I mean, like Parcheesi? No, not like fucking Parcheesi, like fucking video games, man. Get the program. <laughs> it's the Game Awards. Oh, sorry. Jesus. So, man, man, dude, so much of that corporate stuff is like the Emperor's New Clothes. I know. Oh, I've it's been like, there. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right. So the Game um, yeah, Awards. So- what happened at the Game Awards? Well, first of all, like a lot of good games won awards, uh, games that I really played and really thought should have won. It Takes Two is this really awesome co-op game, and it won, like, Game of the Year. Um, And uh, also, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy game won Best Narrative, and it's just like, there's no way it could have lost that, because that game was incredible with voiceover. I couldn't believe it. I've never seen a game like that. The characters... Never stop talking. I know you had a healthy skepticism about that game when it was announced, and now you're 100% on board. Oh, yeah, because I didn't like the idea that you were just playing with one character. But, like, they they made it work, you know, because you typically, typically in a game like that, you get to switch between between characters and stuff. Like, that's a typical way mm-hmm. of doing it. But they, they found a, a, a way that where it's just like you get to... F- you know, focus on one character um, and their story, but you also get to enjoy everybody else's story as well, you know? So that being said, I was just completely taken in by the dialogue of the game. Me being a voiceover artist, I couldn't believe how much voiceover was mm-hmm. in this game. The, the characters just do not stop talking. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's, that's the enjoy. That's the joy of the game because like these characters have like of uh, the best personalities like introduced by the James Gunn movies than like most most movies like like these characters are so great and uh and of course the game was infirmed by the movies so uh that was great um there was also a lot of announcements um uh for for things that are coming out like there's a new Wonder Woman game coming out right new Star Wars game called Eclipse coming out they showed uh, more gameplay from the new Suicide Squad game Kill the Justice League uh, you got to check out that trailer because uh, they're fighting the Flash. Basically, uh, uh, Brainiac, I believe, took over the demise of the Justice League. Okay. You play as the uh, the Suicide Squad, and you, you're dealing with Captain Boomerang, Harley Quinn. Um, is it Croc or King Shark? It's King Shark, I believe. Uh, no, I don't think it's Killer Croc. I think it's uh, Shark. And Yeah, King Shark. Um there's two other characters. So this game is based on the James the Gunn iteration of the characters, or is it based on the comic book iteration? No, it's, it's based off the comic. It's oh, based okay. off the comic, but 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 infirmed by you know the the movies, like the personality and the craziness of the movies. They they're injecting it with the comic book comic booky stuff in the video game. So I'm gonna make a bet right now. I'm going to make a bet right now that one objective in the in the Suicide Squad game will be to obtain Batman's files on defeating the Justice League. Um yeah, I yeah, that, that makes sense. Right? Cuz that's always the point. Anytime the Justice League like goes bad or something happens or they start getting taken. We always find out that someone got a hold of Batman's super secret like how I would take out Superman files. And there's always a point of contention between the Justice League and Batman about the existence of that shit. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I feel like that's definitely a Lex Luthor thing that he would do. I mean, if you look at the scope of the game, they're they're just kind of like in the scrap and heat of the battle. And, you know, they're such like a, a kind of a messy group. I feel like they're just would dumb luck their way into each of these battles. That's fair. I just feel like out. that's the trope. Whenever the Justice League goes bad, the first thing you got to do is get Batman's files. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 
This I feel like this is definitely a Lex Luthor type of Fair thing. Fair enough. You, you could you you'll visibly see that these guys aren't that smart, <laughs> and, and it's just it's just funny to see like how they're gonna scrap their way against this. Like when Flash shows up, it's so funny. You got to see the trailer. <laughs> they get a hold of Batman's computer, and it's like Zoolander. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they they have a new um, open world Sonic game. I think it's the first open world Sonic game that they're trying to oh, do. Oh, cool! And there's this game called. Forspoken that's so odd to see because the lead character is a young young black girl like you never see that in the game it's always like some white person so it's just it's just weird to see her be like this this lead of this super magic powered game so like that's that was really cool for me to see nice yeah that's a good point I always love when that happens because yeah it's always like some white uh, person or some white adjacent person you know, mm-hmm. or Asian or Asian person or something like that. So that's cool to see. Um, so, but the one of the big things that was coming out of this is, um, and you just got to see the trailer for yes. this is the Unreal in, the Unreal Engine uh, re, uh, working of the Matrix. So, like, there there's this new game coming out. What did you think about it? Well, admittedly, I'm a little ignorant. So it's tough for me to tell. Like, I was watching it, and I wasn't immediately super impressed. And I was like, dear God, this is 10 minutes. And we're getting through it. And you're like, you could skip ahead. You could skip ahead. It's fine. I'm like, and I, we finish it up, and I go, well, that's a really nice cutscene. And you're like, those aren't just cutscenes. That's gameplay. And I was like, wait, what? And I went back, and I watched different parts of it again. I was like, holy shit, those aren't just cutscenes. Because, I mean, they've been rendering very nice cutscenes for a long time now. But I was I was amazed at the quality of the, the you know, interconnectedness of the graphics and the cutscenes merging between the action and the gameplay. It's completely seamless. Oh, yeah. For as little as I know about video games, I was, I was quite impressed to see that. So that's the thing that's been happening for at least the last 10 years. I mean, graphics and games have been good pretty much for the last 14 sure. years, honestly, you know? So, but like, they're just, they're just pushing it and pushing it further, even more so to um, uh, photorealistic and cinematic um, looks for their, for their things. And, and it's just getting better and better more and more and more and more and more and more seamless. So like, that's, that's what you could really see in this uh, Matrix trailer. Yeah. You know, when it goes from, when it goes from cutscene directly into um, video game uh, in game action, so that's one of the most impressive things about this. But that's that was what was promised with these new uh, consoles anyway, like uh, over a mm-hmm. year and a half ago, with PlayStation Five and stuff. Uh, they have they have these new ways of doing polygons by these like tiny triangles, and um, it's just uh, it's just fantastic to watch. But what's funny though is that. The only people that are impressed by graphics are like our generation. <laughs> you know, like this new generation could care less for like graphics. Like that's why they like Minecraft and stuff, you know? <laughs> but no, no, but that's the thing. And I think that that's sort of been the eternal battle in video games is the, the, where you put your money. So you only have so much money as a company. So do you put your money into game play or do you put your money into game design and game look and graphics? And so I often think about the the Game Boy, the original Game Boy being the best-selling handheld video game system for decades. And there were all kinds of other things that came out after it. Uh, TurboGrafx Portable and uh, Atari Lynx and 
all kinds of crazy shit. And none of them could ever beat the, the Game Boy, despite the fact that they had wildly superior graphics. And I feel like a part of that is because, or at least the, the lion's share of that is because the games were so fun on the Game Boy. The games, because the graphics were so limited, mm-hmm. all you had was gameplay. That's all you had was the game better be fun because it's going to look like shit no matter what you do. No matter what you do, you have eight bits. So this game better be freaking fun. And I think sometimes that gets a little bit lost as we dive deeper and deeper and deeper into the money being spent on the virtual world that sometimes the gameplay can get a little bit like meh, a little repetitive. Yeah. In my limited knowledge, of course. There are there are always going to be some gems coming out, you know, and then there's always kind of like like the made for masses games. Sure. Then then like then you have like the freemium games that people spend all day playing. You know, it's 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 a mixed bag. But I think that's why Nintendo really doesn't fight for a larger share of the graphic world. We routinely complain about how there's no 4K Switch and there's no high graphic, you know, Nintendo applications of their work. And they just don't care. They said, we're just making fun games and they're going to look as good as they're going to look. And you'll like them. You'll play them. It's going to be fun. Mm -hmm. So I like that. But uh, I like when you tell me all about this uh, video game stuff because this is really my only foray into it. I I literally, I have a PS2 uh, somewhere. (laughs) Rachel has a Switch, though, so she's at least a little bit more advanced than me. And I I do play some games on my phone, but really not anything of any consequence. Marvel Contest of Champions for Life, son. That's that's all I got in the video game (laughs) realm. I love that game. I got seven years just noodling on that game when I got free time. So that's my video game right there. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, You know what else I I really love, though? And, you know, we were talking about um, limited sort of view viewability to certain programs. Uh, I love my Shudder subscription. Shudder is AMC's horror only streaming service. And I've had this since it was in freaking beta. Like I I'm a little I'm going to humble brag a little bit. I still pay less than most people because I have my beta rate (laughs) from when I signed up. So I get it stupid cheap and I freaking love it. And recently I caught the creep show holiday special, which was so big and loud and dumb and Christmas. I just fucking loved it. So those, for those who don't know, and maybe Arthur, cause Arthur doesn't have shutter. Cause again, we have our limits people. We have our limits to how many things we could subscribe to, but uh, Shutter uh, put out a new Creepshow series, which is being produced by Greg Nicotero. For those who don't know, he's of Walking Dead fame. And they've done an excellent job. And they've made these little specials that also go along with the regular, just episodic series that they're producing. And this one came out last year. Somehow I freaking missed it. And it's about a support group for uh, human beings that transform like lycanthropes, but uh, zoothropes, I guess, anything that transforms into an animal. So it's a support group for people who transform into animals. And they come to find out that it's actually Santa Claus's personal mission to wipe out any being on earth that can do this. And he does this with an army of Santa imposters. That's crazy. Which means that canonically Santa is compulsed to hunt werewolves. (laughs) So we get a new werewolf joins the group. He's explaining to everybody that, hey, I was transformed into a werewolf. I'm just sort of getting used to this. And uh, 
I'd like to learn the ropes. Does anybody know anything about any of this? And one guy goes, yeah, we're all good, but just do yourself a favor. Don't go near mall Santas. They're not to be trusted. And he's like mall Santas. <laughs> and they give a whole story, a mythological background about how Santa must hunt werewolves. Don't, don't ask. And so Santa <laughs> and his hundreds of Santa minions descend on this support group and they all transform into animals and fight them off. And it is so fucking crazy. <laughs> and it looks like they got like the the last five winners from Sci-Fi's Face Off to make these costumes. Oh, great! They're like just a little bit super expensive for television, but not quite as expensive as you do for a movie. It's like in this really weird but very high quality zone. Mm-hmm. And it's just crazy. It's pure craziness. I watched hundreds and hundreds of Santas get gunned down and ripped to shreds. And <laughs> it's only 45 minutes long, which for anybody who knows me knows that that, that that just that hits me right in the feels. Thank you. We need more quality short form content because I am so sick and tired of two and a half hour movies Two and a half hour movies just make me so sad these days. And if you want a nice, fun, insane piece of Christmas content, maybe get a shutter. Uh, they, they have a free one month trial. Go try it out. It's good fun. If you like horror movies, you might find that shutter's worth the five bucks a month for you. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but you could do worse than seeing this special because it's a tight little 45 minutes of fucking insanity and i loved it mm -hmm. That's dope. thank you and so speaking of things that are entirely too fucking long how was west side story <laughs> oh my Man, god what's that two story? and a half hours it's like two hours and 38 minutes or something ridiculous like that i just just stop well, how, Hollywood how, how long is the original the original is that long too but i i don't need to watch that either that often <laughs> i just no i get it there's a reason there's a reason that this is as long as it is yeah there's 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 a, there's a musical there's songs musicals been, are this long but now i've gotten to the point where i just don't care <laughs> I, I, i'd be on board if every movie wasn't two and a half hours and then suddenly a musical shows up and they're like oh this musical is gonna be long you know hey or give me an intermission. Let me pee. I don't know. I just, I'm not down. I'm not down. Two and a half hours, too goddamn long. I totally understand. And I actually <laughs> did watch like 40 minutes of this movie, full disclosure. <laughs> and that was about what I could do. That's about what I could do. Yeah, 40 yeah. minutes. Of the newest one? I mean, yeah, the newest one. I jumped around. See, so a little background for people. We're going to talk a little bit about West Side Story and just a fun anecdote about me. One of my first professional jobs in show business was at about 18 years old, I got hired as uh, an electrician and a spotlight operator for an equity theater here in Westchester, New York. And I did that for about two years and it was a great freaking time. And the first run I ever got hired onto was to be the spotlight operator for an eight month run of West Side Story. So I saw West Side Story eight times a week for, I don't know, eight months. And so I know every stitch, every note, every everything of this play and of this movie. And so it's one of those things where it's like, if I never saw it again, it would be too soon. I recognize the brilliance of Jerome Robbins' work, and I recognize mm -hmm. some of the things that it's trying to say and do politically, but 
I, I have a lifetime of West Side Story, so I just kind of flipped around a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> try me. Try my West Side Story. Well, I mean, so for, for me, I thought it was, just, it was interesting because I've been tracking Spielberg's career for the past 10 years, and I think, I think, I think it's just fascinating what's been happening to like a lot of our old classic director masters. Like they just don't really connect with what's happening now. Like as far as like streaming and the theaters not really functioning well and, and this new generation of kids that they can't really connect with. You know, I mean, it, to me, I thought it was odd when Spielberg was spoke out against comic book movies. Yeah. It's like you speaking against comic book movies, a man from animation and, and, and like, and all this pulpy stuff that you've done, like you're speaking out against comic book movies. Yeah. You know, it's like, why aren't you making, why aren't you making one? You know, so it just kind of showed where he was because I, I don't think the comic book movie business is made for somebody like him because these these comic book uh, studios and, and like they want a director that they can control. Mm-hmm. And then also they usually want somebody that's, you know, on the cheaper side. So like they, it's not like it's really been something that's tailor made for like some big director to come in. I mean, the first big director I've seen them bring in is Sam Raimi, honestly. You know, uh, they brought in Sam Raimi for I Doctor love, Strange. I love Sam Raimi, but I can't, I can't put him in the same conversation as Spielberg. I love Sam Raimi, but I think... I'm just saying yeah, big yeah. D- big director from, from like, uh, the past. That's fair. That's, you're that's absolutely been right. That's been doing his thing for a, a while. You know, so Sam Raimi's name Maybe is Maybe Edgar there. Wright was like the biggest swing they ever took and he couldn't operate in that system. But he was still, he he wasn't that well known. Like when, when they, it was like they were giving him a chance. He was, he was definitely in that same realm as the type of directors that they usually try to get. Although he was probably more talented than most of the people that that they might be fair in. i mean maybe i'm you not know? accounting for the time i think today by today's standard he certainly is in the sam raimi steven spielberg conversation but, yeah i'd say approaching you know like i mean he's he's not a household name and he hasn't made stuff that people like he hasn't had like a hundred million dollar that's fair like he hasn't had like a super crazy successful movie you know but we all know how talented he is it's it's hard to transition from being a Brit British director and having like all those sort of sensibilities and have them work for an American audience. It's hard to do that sort of transition. Yeah. That system really beat up Guy Ritchie. Yeah. Guy Ritchie can barely do it. You know, he, it works better when he's doing his scrappy really British does. stuff, but he try, but when he tries to transition, that's where there, there's a bit of a fallout, mm-hmm. you know? Um, with that being said, uh, I don't know who West Side Story is for. I don't know who Steven Spielberg's West Side Story movie is for. Like fans of the original movie is just like, why are you remaking this this beautiful, perfect movie? <laughs> and then it's just like, no, nobody, nobody of this era is asking for anything. No, like they're this. really not. So it it could, it could only be like um like his own passion project that he wants to do because he can. Because he's Spielberg and he he could do it. You know who this movie is for as I'm watching, as I watched it? This movie is for my mom. Honestly, this, my mom 
like when this movie comes out on Blu-ray, I'm going to have to get this Blu-ray for it because my mother loves, loves musical theater. Every year I buy her a kit, a mm-hmm. gift package for like a musical theater group that she's very uh, into. And she loves, loves musical theater. Now, I don't know how many people of our current generation just love musical theater. It does very well. I live in New York. I mean, I'm in the land of Broadway. Mm, yeah. In a lot of ways, Hamilton, you know, revived musical theater for for millennials and for whatever the generation yeah. we're calling the kids who came after millennials. Oh, yeah. But this Dude. is not that. Oh, yeah. My, my kids, you know, I, you know, I... You know, I teach I teach kids and stuff, and like every one of them knows all those lyrics to the Hamilton songs without even having seen. Right, the and show. that's because what like, Hamilton you know? did was it took a concept like musical theater that was aging, and reinvented it for a new generation. Oh yeah, and it did it so brilliantly that the new generation didn't look at it snidely. They accepted it and said, "You know what? This is good. This really is very, very good." And I don't. I don't think Spielberg did that with West Side Story. I don't think that he created anything no. that that the new generation, even the dancing in it is so reminiscent and so in, invocative of the original Jerome Robbins movie. Yeah. It all feels like a period piece, which it is. I mean, which it certainly is, but almost to a fault. Like, what is anybody under 60 relating to in this in this other than racial amethyst. Here's a good thing about the movie. Like it's Spielberg, man. Nobody lights, nobody's lights a movie like Spielberg. Oh, it looks incredible. It it just looks so beautiful. And like the way he moves the camera, it's just so electric and alive. Uh, Some of the choreography like that they pull off. I think some of it's lackluster. I didn't like the opening as much as the original opening of West Side Story. It's just like, it's just like, oh my God. The, the original opening of West Side Story, Jesus Christ, so freaking fantastic. Well, the opening to this movie is a little dismal. Yeah, they're, they're setting they're setting up uh, how like they're basically, um, like really starting to do, uh, 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 what's that term when when people move in, they break things down so rich people can move in. It's gentrification. Yeah, yeah, they're they're basically showing. Well, the movie opens with what is the gentrification of what would later become Lincoln Center. And so that was a lot of housing on the West Side, hence West Side Story. Mm -hmm. And that was all demolished to make way for this glistening Lincoln Center, which is quite stunning if you haven't Mm -hmm. seen it. Sorry about the gentrification. (laughs) Yeah, and it never stopped. No, no, it didn't. (laughs) You can see all the angry, angry, angry black people in New York right now. Um, it has that bent to it that gives it a more real world feel to it, you know, versus just kind of like the happy go kind of happy go lucky quality of the original West Side Story. Like this one just winds up being just more grittier, more dirty, mm-hmm. you know. Um, that I, I like that sh- I like that sheen to the movie. Um, the riff character is interesting because the riff to me in the original West Side Story was very cartoon like and just fun. Yeah, dear, Officer Crump, gay Crump. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, of this new one, he just he really feels like a guy from that time. <laughs> well, yeah, some of you the know? the theatrics of the first one have been toned down considerably. I mean, that first movie is a play on film. Yeah. So, um, you know, 
that that classic versus reality gritty realism is a thing that kind of makes you malfunction a little bit when you watch this movie. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this guy, um, Ansel Elgort, so handsome, but so much swagger that it's hard to relate to him. Like that when when you see the original Tony in the other one, he's so dreamy eyed. You can't help for, but right. feel he, for him. He smacks of being a bit more naive. Ansel Elgort seems a little bit more uh, sure of himself, but he also, he's quite a bit older than Rachel Zegler, isn't he? Mm. He almost looks a little too old for her. Almost a little bit. I get they're trying to play down his age a little bit, but I think it looks a little bit funny when I've seen them together. Yeah. That being said, I, th- I feel like the best sequence was the the boom, pow, zap, like that sex sequence. Uh, between uh, Tony and and his gang, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Th- that sequence was incredible. It was a, it, like it, it seemed like a special effect, but it was just them dancing and camera movement. You know, it was fantastic. Um, but other other than that, you know, it's just it's just it's like who are you making this movie for? <laughs> you know. Well, that's the question. And if you love musicals and you love Spielberg and you're over the age of 50, this is probably for you. If if my mom is listening, like, I'm going to get you that Blu-ray because this is for her. And my mom's generation and Spielberg's generation are the same generation. And they do legitimately love this shit. But I think anybody not from that time is going to find it hard to connect with a lot of the material in it. That said, I mean, there's Oscar bait all over this, you know, it looks so good. It is absolutely from a visual standpoint, 100% beyond reproach. I just feel like some of the themes in it Mm -hmm. could have been updated or shifted. It's like the first movie. Let me hesitate to keep comparing it to the first movie. It's not the first movie. And the first movie has come and gone. And we can always watch the first movie if we want to. But this this movie could have dug, instead of digging into some of the grittiness, which the first movie sort of omits, and so that's where we get our realism from, it could have updated things just a shade. And it chose not to. It chose to be a true period piece. And if you want a movie set in this exact time with these characters doing fairly faithful representations of them shout out to uh to to tony going to sing sing prison for a year i grew up in the town of Ossining with sing sing prison <laughs> it's a real place i have been inside sing sing i have taken the sort of quote unquote unofficial tour and uh my grandmother once even wow. sat in old sparky which was the the electric chair at Sing Sing Prison. Mm-hmm. The one that Constantine needs to like transport himself to hell. <laughs> Have you ever seen the Constantine uh, movies or in the comic? I love that movie, man. Francis Lawrence, Francis Lawrence did amazing in that. Uh, but yes, yeah, so shout out, shout out to my hometown of Austin in New York being represented with our good friend Tony going up there and learning that crime doesn't pay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, all, all in all, I mean, I love Spielberg, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's not for you. It's not for me. I wonder where his head is at, you know, creatively. I don't know. He made a very beautiful thing that maybe just isn't for us. Yeah. Word. But you know what is for me? Hawkeye, season one. Jo, 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 jo. Episode Meet five. Only one more episode left to go. <laughs> and I am a little confused about the fact that there's only one more episode left to go because I like this show. And I like what I'm seeing, but I'm not really sure where we're going now. 
after this episode? Like, where are we? Where are we going? I was setting up Daredevil. <laughs> you mean I watched six episodes to watch a commercial <laughs> for another show that ain't out yet? <laughs> Fuck you. I ref- no, no. I refuse to believe that's where we're going. Because, and we're going to spoil, spoiler, spoiler, spoilers. You know, all all the all kinds of spoilers. But if you aren't watching Hawkeye, do watch it. It's good fun. It's Christmas fun. Tis the season. Tis the season to watch Hawkeye. But so for me... We mm-hmm. had speculated a lot whether it was actually Clint as Ronan who killed Echo's father or if it was somebody else dressed up as Ronan who killed Echo's father. We learned definitively in this episode, Clint did it. Now, I have said that if Clint did it, yep. I think he dies. I don't I, I don't think he dies, man. I don't think they're going to kill him at the end of this because Echo seems to accept his explanation. Echo seems to accept his explanation. She, he tells her we're the same. We're both just weapons and people with more power than us point us at a target and we do exactly what it is that we do. You and I are exactly the same. It's just who are we pointed at and why? And just so you know, it was somebody on your side that pointed me at your father. Just so you know. And she accepts Mm -hmm. this explanation. She legitimately does accept this. She does understand that he's right. They don't choose their targets and they both are exactly the same. And can we give it up for, um, the, the, the Kate and Elena? (laughs) That was good fun watching the two of them play the sort of cat and mouse of, the conversation and then Yelena getting real fucking serious by the end of it. Oh man. She was so good in that scene. Like it's she re- both of them, both of them play that scene. And I have felt like at times, you know, that Haley Steinfeld's acting has been a little bit too like my girl Friday, but this scene, this scene was cool. This scene was really restrained for her. And I, I think it shows, uh, I think it shows some real ability on her part. I mean, Florence Pugh is killing it all over the place. She owns this scene, but Haley's doing a good job. I think they need that sort of pluckiness from Kate throughout this series because, again, I think we talked about this before. That there's there was two very uh, specific characterizations for the character in the comic books. Uh, there was one that was more plucky, and then one that was just really more cool and observant and playing up the rich girl um, socialite thing. Like, with Clint being the way he is, they needed to have a contrast. So It's fair. He's going to be playing dour, so she's got to play more Yeah. Up. Yeah. You know, like, in the comic books, he doesn't have, like, this whole family thing that's, like, a weight on him. You know, he's more of a go, like a wild card in the, in the books. You know, like, a kind of a fuck-up in the books. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He's a lot more... Yes, yes. He's a lot... I, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but yes, he's quippier. He's a lot more cavalier because he doesn't have a family, so he can afford that perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, I so I think that think that's fine. Um, I I think I think all the re- re- revelations. It's not like a whole lot happened in this episode, so there's not much for us to talk about because it was basically you know like the big conversation and the meeting between uh, Echo and and Hawkeye. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about how episode four was kind of a slow episode. And so when this was loading up and I, I said to Rachel, I was like, okay, here we go. We're in the third act. This is the start of the third act. This should be where 
shit starts getting really fucking crazy. And we, again, had a lot of uh, talky-talky, you know, a lot of just personal moments between characters. Yeah. I I assume since the fifth episode of Loki was crazy that this episode would be crazy, too. But apparently they're just saving all of it for the last episode. Well, you know, it's funny you say it that way because I think that exact thing, because there is a lot to be said about how you apply your budget mm-hmm. and that if you add more dialogue scenes, that's going to give you more money to do something insane later on. There was a director who's very, very famously explained that that's how he mm-hmm. saved money, where if he needed more money for a special effect, he just let a dialogue scene drag out a little bit more. Oh, yeah, definitely. And so I think, I think they're, they're, they're saving some money, but we did get some interesting dark, you know, revelations into the dark Avengers on this. Yes. So we find out now that Julia Louise Dreyfus, who is the one that sent Florence Pugh after, uh, you know, a Hawkeye, that she's being bankrolled by Eleanor Bishop, who is clearly in bed with the Kingpin. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to find out that ultimately Kingpin is bankrolling the Dark Avengers. Because when you have a super team and they need super shit, somebody's got to buy it, be it Tony Stark or perhaps the Kingpin. Well, yeah, they... They can't do um, oh Norman Osborn. So, like, Kingpin is the obvious character that they have to use for Sure, that. he is the head of all crime in New York City. All crime in New York City reports back to him. Yeah. I mean, for the longest time, I thought they were going to reveal their own version of uh, Norman Osborn. But, uh, like, I think they... It's so funny, like, how they they always have the um, the solution within the, their, their meager... Uh, bits and pieces that they've had to play with all these times. It's like they always had like the broken toys um, to play with and work with. You know, they're tried and true broken toys. You know, <laughs> you know. Not what I mean? quite. What do you mean by that? So it's like Marvel. They're they all had this. They, the whole way this all started is with characters that weren't that popular. You know. Oh, okay. 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 Now I get it. So yes. So they have the broken toys are the unwanted characters and what they've been able to do with the characters nobody wanted. Yeah. Yeah. They've been able to just make make their stories happen with what they have. You know, while while still getting back a lot of their major toys and trying to figure out how to implement them the smartest, most uh, organic way. Here they have like the kingpin and stuff off of these Netflix things that you know. Oh, Jeff Loeb and, and them and 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 uh and uh, Feige, they weren't getting along during that whole time, right? You know, like 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 they were going back and forth and stuff, and and um, you know, the the movie, the the TV stuff wanted to be legitimized by the movie stuff, but the movies wouldn't make any mention of the TV stuff, you know, and it just made it hard for the TV stuff to continue their stories, you know. Well, because that's a lot of um, cooperation and agreement between two entities that have their mm-hmm. own idea of what makes a good end product. And so I could see them not being super excited about doing that together. Mm-hmm. But this episode tied it all together pretty freaking neatly with a photograph of Eleanor Bishop and our good friend Vincent D'Onofrio as the kingpin at the very last thing, as the very last thing we see. So Mm -hmm. loose ends that need tying up. This is what I mean when I say that I'm not really sure where it's going. So mostly through this, the problem has been the tracksuit mafia is after Kate Bishop. Hawkeye tries to help her. Now they're after him too. 
They have to escape the tracksuit mafia. In addition, there is a murder of a mob guy. Uh, his nephew is engaged to the head of a security company. All of them seem to be involved in some shady shit, but like, so they're trying to get to the bottom of that dude's murder while avoiding the tracksuit mafia. And now suddenly a black widow is after Hawkeye and they have to deal with that. So can we presume by this point that the tracksuit mafia is officially dealt with that echo has accepted all of these explanations for what's going on and she'll be pulling back so we can eliminate them as a, where this is going. I think from next time we see Echo, it's either going to be to help Hawkeye at the very end of episode six, like he's in trouble and she jumps in and helps him. Or I think we see her again in her own series. But then, so what's the issue here? They have presumably arrested Jack for being the front of a shell company that works with the mob. I think that's all theater by Kate's mom for her to convince Kate that, hey, Thanks for telling us we got him and that like those cops aren't real and he's not going to jail, whatever the case might be. Like, I don't, I don't trust any of that, but like Mm -hmm. what's, what's Hawkeye's objective at this point, other than get home for Christmas. Like he knows now that Eleanor Bishop hired Yelena to kill him. So is the purpose of episode six going to be to get to the bottom of that? And if so, what does that even mean? Hmm. Let's see. Right? I feel like it's getting just a little muddy at the end. Well, I mean, when it comes down to it, uh, he's still trying to protect uh, Kate. Mm. Also, you know, like he's haunted by the uh, the Ronin. So tr- trying to put that to bed and, and also, you know, as an Avenger, he can't just like let this, like leave all of this laying on the floor. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a see, see it through to the end. So, I mean, so the thing is, Every time there was an easy solution that we, we were finding that there was just more and more pieces to this that he couldn't just like leave, especially now that the Black Widow's there. You know, he's going to he's probably going to find out, you know, the what's happening with this. Uh... So, yeah, that makes sense. He's he's about to find out what's happening with this Dark Avengers thing. You know, then he'll be able to actually, you know, really put the pieces for the new Avengers. Maybe maybe that's the direction that they're maybe. Going. I mean, he seems legitimately and his wife legitimately terrified of the kingpin. Even when he says, I gotta get this mopped up before the big guy gets involved. And his and his wife's like, You think he could get mm-hmm. involved? He's like, I absolutely do. So she even knows when he says the big guy who he means. He doesn't have to elaborate. And they're both legitimately afraid because if the kingpin wants you dead, like basically now. Clint Barton has to take his family and go into hiding because if the Kingpin wants you dead, you're dead. He has limitless resources to Mm -hmm. enact his vision. And if he wants Clint Barton and his entire family killed for whatever reason, and we might not find out what that reason is in this series. And I don't think we will necessarily, but uh, he'll kill you. So I think it's very plausible that we could see shield, disappearing Clint Barton and his family at the end of this. And he has to have like a tearful goodbye with uh, Kate Bishop or something. I don't know. It's like I said, I'm, I'm not really sure where it's all going. I don't think they kill him. I don't think they give us this much time with his family just to kill him. That does make sense too. Instead of, instead of killing him. Yeah. Instead of killing him, he, he has to be erased, you know, like that. And, you know, and then Kate's like, well, I, I'm not being erased. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm confident. I'm going to take him down. <laughs> and 
and the yeah, the Young Avengers is perfect to go up against the um, Dark Avengers. Yeah, well, they do in the comics regularly come come to terms with each other. Yeah, because the Dark Avengers always see taking out no, the Young good. Avengers as like a warm up, and then they always have trouble with them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I'm excited to see where it goes. I have I have absolutely no idea. I think Jack getting arrested is a setup. I don't think he's getting he's either getting arrested by fake cops or dirty cops. It was all theater so that Kate will feel better about everything. Mm-hmm. But her mom is straight up a mobster. Yeah. And I wonder if the she doesn't go into hiding because she is afforded a certain level of protection by that fact. And but then again, we show we saw what that meant for Echo's family. I don't know. I guess I just don't know is the thing. So we're we're gonna find out though in just a few short days to the season finale of Hawkeye mm. just before Christmas. We got time for for another episode just before uh just before actual Christmas. And uh, mm-hmm. by that point, I'll have seen Spider-Man and I will have seen the final episode of Hawkeye and we'll have a ton of fun stuff to talk about. If people want to talk to you before then, where are they going to find you? They're going to find me at www.arthurromeo.live. Oh yeah. All live. All the time. Also, you can check me out on my YouTube channel. <laughs> Draw Really Awesome Wow, and uh, its counterpart on Instagram, Draw Really Awesome Wow, all underscored. Check me out there. Buy some merch. (laughs) And where can they find you, my buddy? Well, when I'm not editing out your ridiculous commentary on your own commercial, I'm right here on Instagram (laughs) at thomas.olton. Or you can find, of course, our Instagram at tales underscore two underscore admonish. And also, please, on your podcasting app of choice, rate and review us. It really helps with our visibility and helps other people find the show. And if you enjoy the show, tell your friends, tell your neighbor, tell your wife, tell your kids. Tell them it's Christmas. Right here on... Tales to admonish! Finish it! (laughs) Yeah! I was trying to get one more Sam out of you before the end of the season. I was really forcing it in there. I didn't I didn't know how to do it, but I'll, I'll have a better one for next week. Yeah, I just switched it. 